Well, hello and welcome to another week of our sermon series, Change Your Mind. Uh, Believe it or not, we're now in the third week of this series as we walk uh, through the Lenten season together. And we're doing something a little differently. Instead of having a new scripture every single week that we look at, we're actually meditating on Romans uh, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And so that is a little bit different from what we've done in the past or what you might be used to in church, uh, having a different story every single week or different scripture. Uh, we are actually just meditating on those few verses where we hear that by the mercies of God, we should give our whole bodies, our whole selves as a sacrifice. And one of the ways we do that is by being renewed in our mind, by changing our mind, by turning away from uh, things that aren't healthy, things that are evil, things that are hurtful, and turning towards things that are holy and loving and, and justice-oriented and mercy-oriented. And so all of Romans chapter 12 kind of gives us some behavior, some ways of being, some ways of acting. But the first two verses really give us uh, the means, how we get there. Instead of just trying hard, uh, we actually see that we can be renewed in our mind and we can be transformed. And that is basically a, a biblical definition of repentance, right? To, to repent uh, is to change our minds, to think anew, to think more like Christ. And so, uh, you know, the first week we talked about repentance, and last week we talked about an example of someone changing their mind. I actually shared my own personal journey of changing my mind as I became a a more affirming Christian. And this week we're going to hear the story of someone you probably have never heard of. If you have, I'd be really impressed uh, because I'm a history buff, and I'd only heard of this person sort of in passing here or there, and I never really quite understood who they were or what they were all about. Uh, until I got to seminary and we started learning about this person. It's pretty fascinating. So we're going to learn today about a man named Bartolome de las Casas. Uh, He was a Spanish, uh, a wealthy Spanish uh, landowner and um, business person who eventually became a clergy person and then eventually an actual priest in the Roman Catholic Church in Spain. And his story is fascinating about how he changed his mind. He's an unusual beacon of light in a very dark time. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about how he came to that that change of heart, that change of mind. So here's the thing. Uh, Las Casas, uh, as I said, was a pretty wealthy Spaniard. And his father actually uh, sailed the ocean with Christopher Columbus and went to the, the New World and explore the New World. And so when Las Casas was very young, he went with his father to the Caribbean, and he experienced firsthand uh, the native peoples of the Americas. And, uh, you know, being a typical Spaniard, uh, he was pretty okay with the fact that the Spanish had uh, essentially enslaved a large number of these people, had uh, committed genocide, had murdered a large number of people, and of course, just by nature of disease in Europe, had uh, taken out many, many people. They sort of just accepted that as a reality of life. And so I thought before we really get into his story, we need to understand the waters in which Las Casas was swimming. We need to understand the context of history. There's a lot going on during the life of Bartolome de Las Casas. He's born around the same time that uh, Martin Luther and John Calvin are coming into being, right, in the Reformation period. 
Uh, he is in that time of uh, Elizabethan England about to start it. This is where Henry VIII is, is figuring out his life and having all his wives. And <laughs> the church in England is going through its own uh, upheaval and reformation. And, and the German churches are going through their reformation and upheaval. And in Spain, there's not much reformation. Uh, they have a very tightly controlled Roman Catholic apparatus, and their monarchy was very, very strong. And so in Spain at the time, Roman Catholicism was very strong, and you might recall a phrase called the Spanish Inquisition. Pretty famous time in history where the Roman Catholic Church in Spain literally tortured people uh, to get them to confess Jesus Christ. You might think that's crazy. Uh, it is. It is crazy. But there was a kind of justification for doing this, and, and I need you to know what it is so that you can understand how we get to a place where we can be okay with torturing and with enslaving people. Okay, so come back to me uh, with me to the beginning of Christianity, okay? At the very beginning, we have a very diluted, muddled, confused picture of the afterlife, right? We, we believe in eternal life. Uh, we have some different discussions about what that looks like, negative and positive, right? So we all sort of believe in heaven at this point in the early church. We get this idea that there's a, a new earth, a new heaven coming, that God's going to make all things right. And that's rooted in the scriptures. There are examples of that in the book of Isaiah, for example. And we can't seem to really agree about the negative afterlife, does everybody get saved and go to heaven eventually? Well, some of the early church fathers believed that. Others believed that those who didn't believe in Jesus Christ were essentially just annihilated, just poof, just into thin air, didn't exist anymore. And there were some people who believed there was some kind of uh, purifying refinement after you die, where you sort of grew into heaven. And then there were those who believed that, that hell was, you know, this eternal, conscious, tormenting place uh, where you could not get out. There were no second chances. And people who didn't believe in Jesus just went there forever and ever to be tortured, right? That uh, view of hell won out in the end after a long battle. Uh, but it's not uncontroversial. And even today, a lot of the major Christian thinkers think we probably got that one wrong as we continue to evaluate our scriptures and go back and renew our mind as we mine the scriptures and think about our experiences of life together. But <clears throat> what you see in uh, medieval Christianity, so fast forward from the early church to about a thousand years in the future, is that this tormenting hell becomes a really popular image in the mind of people. Dante writes his famous Inferno around the 14th century, around the 1300s. And this is where we really get that first true picture of hell as this, you know, torture chamber with demons torturing people in eternity. We started to see that in artwork in the few hundred years before Dante. Uh, but early artwork did not depict hell this way at all. The early artwork, or artwork depicted hell as uh, a place where the gates were broken and flung open, where Jesus Christ had opened the gates of hell for people to leave and go and be with Christ. Uh, but it's changed over time. So we get to the medieval period and we see hell as this awful, awful place. And so if you have that mindset that if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you're going to be tortured forever uh, and be aware of it. You're going to feel it for infinity into the future. 
then you can justify a lot of behavior at that point, right? Because you can see how the Spaniards would feel. It's okay to torture you for a season of life to save you from an eternity in hell. You see the justification. And they did this in other places too. In England, they're very famous for this as well. People would translate the Bible into English from Latin and, oh, how dare you? And they would torture them, try to get them to recant and turn from their wrong ways. Uh, And they justified it by the fact that it was better to torture you now and temporarily than for you to be tortured in hell forever. So this is the context that Las Casas finds himself in in the 16th century as he sails to the Caribbean. And he sees these native peoples who don't know Jesus. And he's like, well, I I understand We, we have to force them. To believe in Jesus Christ. So we enslave them, we make them do our work. There's one other piece of context you need to know, and that was how they justified slavery in the 16th century. Now, this is a different kind of slavery than what we picture in the United States. What we usually think of with slavery is what we call chattel slavery or property slavery. And our form of slavery is actually the worst kind of all, because in American slavery, we treated Africans as uh, property, not as human beings at all. No humanity whatsoever. Uh, we put uh, African slaves on the level of cattle or, or land or a house. We gave them no value whatsoever. And that's shameful. Um, now, all slavery is wrong, but that particular kind of slavery was particularly evil, right? But most slavery in history was not like that. It wasn't where we picked a particular race of people and by motivation of white supremacy or racism, we treated them as property, dehumanized them. Most slavery in history was more economic in nature. And so you had a couple different kinds, but basically it boiled down to this. Either you owed someone money, and one of the ways you could pay it off was by, by serving them for free. So you're, you're paying back a debt by being their servant. And then there was another form in which if you were captured in war, then you could be enslaved and forced to serve uh, the victors of that war. Now, by the 16th century, they had decided that you could only do that if it was a just war, right? So if you fought a just war and you were on the right side of history and you won, you could take slaves for yourself. Now, conveniently, there was never any unjust war. (laughs) If you won the war, then you just proved yourself to be the just one, right? And so you could justify uh, taking slaves from those who lost. So this is the context in which Las Casas is swimming, and he accepts all of this and thinks all of this is okay. But then something interesting happens in his life. He has an experience that changes his mind. This might remind you of my story, and you may have stories like this, where you have a a particular experience that plants a a seed in in your heart or in your mind, and over time that marinates and grows into a change of heart, a change of mind. So Las Casas actually was on the path of becoming a priest, so he was in this uh, process, and as he was in this process, they actually invaded the island of Cuba uh, to take over the island, and they just massacred Uh, native Cubans on this island. And Las Casas saw this and it stuck with him. Now, he didn't immediately change his mind and and call off all the, the persecution of native peoples in the Americas, but it planted a seed in his heart. And over the next year or two, he started to have a change of heart about what it was that we were doing uh, to native Americans. And so he started to push back. And as he became a a priest, he really felt more authority to push back. 
And he started by arguing that the war against the native peoples was not a just war. That's pretty shocking because usually the one who wins just says it's just so they can take their slaves. But uh, Las Casas pushed back on his own people, on the Spanish people, and said, this was not a just war. These Native American peoples are people of intellect, people of society. They had a well-developed society and economy. We came in and just smashed it to pieces. This was not just, and therefore we're not justified in having slaves. Now, you might think, oh, this is such a great liberal enlightenment. He's come to, to see the light. But his solution to this was to take African slaves and replace the Native American slaves with African slaves. So not black and white, right? Las Casas is not a hero at this point. The reason he would say that is because he perceived the wars in Africa to be just wars. And so the slaves from Africa were justly enslaved in his mind. So you can see the dynamic here now. He's working towards opposing slavery, but he has to take those baby steps. So the first step is he sees this massacre and it personally affects his heart. The next step is he sort of gently nudges and pushes on the fact that, well, slavery is okay in general, but this particular kind of slavery with the native peoples was unjust. And he actually gets some movement here. He gets the Spanish crown to support his concept and make some reforms. Now, as he got older, late in life, he actually came to oppose slavery altogether. His mind continued to grow and change as he read the scriptures. In the Roman Catholic Church, they have a book called Sirach, or called Ecclesiasticus in the Latin. And we don't have that in our Protestant Bibles, but it's in the, Holy, uh, in the Roman Catholic Church's Holy Scriptures. And reading a portion of that uh, book of Sirach, um, Las Casas was actually uh, renewed in his mind. He changed his mind about slavery altogether. He felt that they were doing an injustice in the world. And so he would come to oppose slavery completely by the end of his life in a pretty remarkable way. Now, I tell this story, and I want you to notice two things about it, okay? Because when we talk about how we change our mind, um, we need to know a couple of things, because changing your mind can be traumatizing. I mean, you could have been raised to believe a certain thing, and then all of a sudden you have an experience that tells you, maybe that wasn't right. And that's traumatizing. Right? Did my parents lie to me? Did my pastor lie to me? Why, why was I taught that this was okay? But it was completely accepted in the 16th century that you could enslave people if you wanted to, basically by winning a war against them. And Las Casas pushes back on that notion, and it had to have been mind-blowing for most people. But I want you to notice these two things. The first is, again, we go back to this reality. He had an experience, and we have to listen to our experiences. He had a real experience of something that did not feel right in his conscience, and it forced him to go back to the scriptures and back to his philosophy and his intellect and to reevaluate whether what he believed was true was actually true. So we need to remember that. Listen to your experiences and your conscience that flows out of those experiences. The other thing I want you to notice about Las Casas' story is uh, that he didn't change his mind overnight. It wasn't like he had the experience and he was like, I'm done. This is wrong. Let's move on. He had a progression of thought over time. And so he didn't just immediately come to oppose slavery, but he renewed his mind throughout his whole life. So that by the end of his life, he was really on the right side of history. But it took time. 
And so we have to give ourselves grace too, right? If you're having a hard time changing your mind, if you think something's just really hard to understand, and I've always been taught this way, but it seems like this is right now, give yourself some grace, right? Uh, you have a lifetime to, to grow and be transformed, uh, to prepare yourself for eternity. Uh, you don't want to be lazy about it, right? <laughs> but it is okay to say, you know, I'm figuring this out and I need a little time to figure this out. So Las Casas lived a very old age in his day, and uh, you know, it was toward the end of his life that he actually came around to oppose slavery altogether. So this is just another story, another example of someone who was transformed by the renewal of their mind that allied themselves with God's will, his good and perfect will, God's perfect will, uh, by allowing himself to be informed by his own experience and then going back to the well of Scripture and trying to determine truth. And I hope that you'll consider that as you think about this important question. What are things that we just accept as true today? And could we be wrong about that? That's why you see so much upheaval in the world today, right? Because for so many generations in America, we've just accepted certain things were true. Like it was okay for, uh, you know, systemic racism to be a part of society, right? Uh, it was okay for women not to be in the workplace, not be paid equally. It, it was okay uh, to uh, to suppress and oppress uh, LGBTQIA people. Like, there was something fundamentally wrong, and we should do that, right? That was just accepted reality, and yet a lot of people knew in their guts something wasn't right. And now we're seeing that spill out into our society. So I have to do a couple of things. One is let yourself be transformed. Don't fight it. But then also have grace for those who are moving slower than you. Pray for them and pray for yourself. Have humility and stay in conversation. And don't give up on the conversation. Because that slow drip of grace is what will slowly change us into the image of Christ. Amen. Amen. 